0: We're so grateful for everybody who's led us in worship today and led us in prayer. And as Ben mentioned, we are continuing in a sermon series entitled, Rediscovering Church, where we're looking at different scripture passages that give us different perspectives on what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ. And today we're looking at one of my favorite passages from the book of Hebrews. I can remember about 15 years ago when I was leading a Bible study and I was preparing to teach on this passage and I was doing preparation and research and I came across a a sermon and a couple of articles and you know I think a recorded Q&A by pastor and author Tim Keller and his his teaching on this passage has deeply influenced me and it really shaped my understanding of what this passage is talking about and my vision for the community of faith so much so that I can't talk about this or even preach about this without incorporating some of those images and concepts so I hope you'll be as blessed by them as I have been. So now, hear now the word of God from Hebrews chapters 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's a great passage, but before we dig into it, let's pray. Lord, you alone are the word, and you alone have the words of eternal life. Speak to us, Lord. Speak to us as we are gathered here today, and speak through us as we are scattered in the world this week. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. And we pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Now, a couple months ago, we conducted a church survey, and we got a couple hundred responses to that survey. And one of the consistent themes that wove its way through many of those responses was that people were sensing, particularly after the isolation and separation of the pandemic, people were sensing a yearning for community more than ever. And this passage speaks directly into that longing for community. And it tells us that the church is called to be a particular kind of community. And the text really gives us three important insights into the powerful nature of Christian community, its distinctive character, and its unavoidable expression. So let's start with the nature of Christian community. Verse 25 is an exhortation about the importance of meeting together. And the Greek word that's used there is episynagogue, from which we get the word synagogue. And it basically means a congregation. Now there's a big difference between a community of people and a crowd of people. There's a big difference between a congregation and an aggregation. An aggregation of people is like a bag of marbles, whereas a congregation is more like a bunch of grapes. The marbles may be gathered together, they may be compressed together, but they're not connected together. In contrast, grapes are gathered into organic bunches, sharing between one another the life that flows from the vine. And so it is with people. We can gather in one place and listen to a speaker or sing songs, but that's very different from being a congregation. A congregation is a community where members are vitally and genuinely connected to one another, where their lives deeply intersect. It's a place where our stories are shared and known and where our burdens are shared and carried. It's a place where we can take off our masks and reveal our hopes and our hurts with others who will do the same. And the Christian community is distinguished in this text by a phrase that's repeated in verses 24 and 25. The text says that we are to encourage one another and to stir up one another. And the phrase one another carries with it the idea of mutuality and reciprocity because the community not only gathers with each other, it gathers for each other. So that means that I don't come here today just to teach, but also to be taught. And you shouldn't come in here only to be comforted, but also to comfort others. We gather to give and receive, to exhort one another, to to love one another. And that's the unique nature of Christian community. Now, you may have been to a church or a Bible study that's covered this passage, and you've come to verse 25 that said, we should not neglect to meet together. And someone has said, aha, that means you should go to church. And it does mean that in a sense. But here we are in a church service together at this very moment. Are you one anothering right now? Are you challenging one another, exhorting one another, holding one another accountable? No, you're not. Now don't misunderstand me. Corporate worship is an essential and beautiful part of being the community of faith. But that's not the primary place. This is not the primary place where we do one anothering. That doesn't happen here. That happens in a space where our lives are deeply intertwined with others where we have deep spiritual friendships, when we know somebody's past and their pain and their struggle, and they know ours. It's a place where we pursue one another, when we would rather hide and isolate and protect ourselves. And here's the thing. You can come to church every Sunday and every Wednesday, and you can go to camp, and you can go to mission conferences, and never do any of this one-anothering. Because that happens most often in intentional and committed small gatherings of people. Churches sometimes call them life groups, or small groups, or community groups, or kingdom groups. And these are the gatherings that grow beyond merely hanging out or sharing information. And they make the risky and invasive leap into vulnerability and transformation. Now, the call to this type of community is so important because of what the book of Hebrews says generally and what this text says specifically about what happens when we gather like that. Now, let's look back at the text. In verses 19 through 23, the writer is talking about how we draw near to God through the blood of Jesus. 19 says we enter the holy places, and 22 says we draw near. This nearness, this access to the presence of God offered by Christ in the new covenant is very different from the old covenant, from Old Testament worship practices. In Jewish worship, the presence of God dwelt in a specific area of the temple. It was called the Holy of Holies. And it was separated from the rest of worship by this thick, huge, impassable curtain. And that area was off-limits to everyone all the time except for one person on one day of the year. On Yom Kippur, the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies and make a sacrifice for the sins of the people. No other time, nobody else. Imagine that. Imagine not being able to personally enter the presence of God. Because that's what saves us and that's what changes us. When we're weighed down by sin and guilt, it's the forgiving presence of God that cleanses us and lifts that burden off of us. When we're held captive by sin and selfishness and addiction, it's the liberating presence of God that frees us personally experiencing the holiness of God is what gives us a desire for goodness and purity and integrity. And the love of God, that's what gives us hope and joy and confidence and faith. But under the old covenant, you couldn't get past the curtain. You could not get in there. But now, the writer says, we can draw near. We have confidence to enter the presence of God by the new and living way opened by the blood of Jesus on the cross. And that's astoundingly good news. And it's great theology. But then the text goes on to make this really amazing practical point. After telling us that we have access to God through Christ, the writer says... Therefore, let us gather together, let us encourage one another, let us stir up one another. You see what the text connects? It links experiencing the presence of God with participating in the community of God. The writer says that we access the transforming presence of God through Christ in community. And that's why C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity that God, God works on us in all sorts of ways. But above all, he works on us through each other. And coming to services for an hour a week and having a private devotional time for a couple minutes a day, that's good and that's important. But that's not enough to transform us. That requires engagement with the type of community that we're gonna talk about. John Wesley, who was the founder of Methodism, was once told and then often repeated that the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. Christian community is where the action is because Christian community is where the access is. And that really leads us to point number two, what does this one anothering community look like? And the text really describes three practices. First, verse 24 tells us to consider, consider how we gather together. And it's a word that means to ponder or to reflect or to deliberate. This is the language of intentionality, of commitment of commitment to practices that would form us into the image and likeness of Christ. Because despite the fact that all of us are wired for genuine community, we have to admit that we're tempted to settle for far less. We're tempted merely to be in the company of people who would soothe us and affirm us and make us comfortable. And so this first decision is often the hardest because the community has to decide, are we going to gather just to hang out or are we going to commit to the demanding togetherness of transformation? So let me just ask, do you have people in your life who are deeply committed to your growth, to your healing, to your sanctification, who are willing to seek you out for that when you would rather hide? And are you that type of person to anyone else? A commitment to the practice of formation, it's a decisive step into a different experience with God and to a different experience with each other. And to choose transformation is to choose the hard path. And at this point, there's many who just, they tap out. They say, I didn't sign up for this. I just want to hang out with people in chat. But as pastor and author Henry Nouwen observed, true community happens not necessarily because we like each other or have a common task or project, but because we are called together by God to be changed by God. And verse 24 then goes on to say that we should stir up one another. Some translations say that we are to provoke one another. And this is literally a word that means to irritate one another. And right now, some of y'all are thinking, finally, finally, I get to exercise my spiritual gift of annoying other people. But hang with me for a second. Let me give you a practical example of what this looks like. I got a friend who's got some experience with intentional and committed Christian community. And we were having lunch, and he was telling me about how he'd recently agreed to have an accountability partner. And they had met for lunch And when they they did, they discussed their no-go subjects, the areas of their life and their soul that are off-limits to other people and that they don't discuss. And after specifically describing those areas and making a written list of them, they mutually agreed to relentlessly ask each other about each one of those areas every time they met. Why? Why would they willingly invite someone to probe the painful and sensitive areas of their life? They do it because they know that our most abiding sins, our deepest wounds, our most confounding habits, they always come with blind spots. And because of shame or self-deception or simple lack of self-awareness, our most troublesome sins are the ones that are least visible to us. And mature believers recognize this and they appoint others who will help them see what they themselves are deeply invested in not seeing. And I can tell you from my own experience, the things that I hide from myself and the things that I hide from others are the things that I hide from God. And the things that I keep from God keep me from God. And that's true of you, too. The things that you keep from God keep you from God. And we need people who will help free us from our own secrets. And that's why the practice of stirring up, the practice of holy provocation, is so important to community. And then the text also tells us to encourage one another. And that describes a posture of empathy and compassionate care. It's almost the opposite of provoking. It's the sweetness that balances out the bitterness of stirring each other up. And I think every one of us can look back on our lives to an occasion where someone encouraged us and it was a pivotal moment for us. I mean, I can remember when I was a young adult. I was in my 20s, maybe my late 20s. I was deeply in the throes of a selfish and very self-indulgent life. And I was at a party, engaged in some of the antics that I used to engage in. And I happened to notice that over on the side, there was this Christian couple that I knew and they were standing there and they were looking at me and they were smiling and they were talking. And a little bit later, I talked to the husband and I said, hey, what were you guys talking about earlier? And I'll never forget this. He looked me dead in the eye, and with his wry smile, he said, We were talking about what a joyful Christian you're going to make someday. I was just stunned, because I was so far from Jesus at that point in my life, but his encouragement brought Christ near to me. And he gave me a vision for what my life could look like if Jesus was in it. Something that I was unwilling and unable and, frankly, uninterested in seeing on my own at that point. But their encouragement helped me to see it. And I look back on on that as one of the moments that God used to bring me to repentance and faith. That's the power of encouragement. And it's an essential practice of Christian community. And all this leads to the final point because verse 24 of the text tells us that the unavoidable expression of Christian community is love and good works. True Christian community maintains both inward and outward practices. Inward practices that shape us into the image of Christ and outward practices that encourage us to express the love of Christ. And this is the unbreakable relationship between discipleship and missions. We are shaped to serve. And so theologian and writer Miroslav Volf captures this so well when he says, Inscribed on the very heart of God's grace is the rule that we can be its recipients only if we do not resist in being made into its agents. What happens to us must be done by us. And so my first small group experience was when I moved to China in 2011. And it honestly absolutely changed my life. Now, I went to Shanghai alone because Jamie stayed back with the boys here in Richmond until they finished the school year and they were going to come over. So I got over there and I was clueless and I was lonely. And I started attending this international church and one of their life groups invited me to join. And they just embraced me They invited me to their family dinners. They invited me to their family movie nights. They invited me to their weekly meetings. They showed me the hospitality of Christ. And they didn't just do that for me. They did it for others. One of those families had four kids of their own. But they adopted a little Chinese girl who had a heart condition and who'd been abandoned. And the other families would host missionaries and students in their homes for months at a time. They profoundly shaped my understanding of what Christian community looks like. So much so that when a couple of our friends in the church asked us to consider hosting one, a teenager from their hometown in South, South Africa who was having a hard time and they wanted to bring him over so he could have kind of a reset in the community of our church. To our surprise, Jamie and I said, yeah, you can live with us. Because without our life group, we would have had no vision for that. We would have had no interest in that, no desire for that, no faith for that. We would not have heard Christ in it. But because they had done that sort of thing in front of us, and they'd also done that sort of thing for us, we could sense Christ drawing near to us. And next one, next slide. That's Joshi. He lived with us for about six or eight months, an absolute gift to us, just like that life group was. So let me invite the band back up and just close with this. Church, community is where the action is, because community is where Christ is, intentional committed Christian community. It's about both belonging and becoming. It's about ultimately shaping us image into the image of Christ so that we can express the love of Christ to others to the glory of Christ. Amen.